you found it. It's the Japan What Podcast, coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo. The Armpit of Asia. In the Toshi Hisa Cho Studios in Shinjuku-ku, Tokyo, Japan. It's me, Matt Bigelow. The Japan What Podcast, the only podcast, as far as I can tell, focusing on Japan with the AI trends, conflict, stupid products, something else, and more. MatthewPMBigelow.com is where you can go to get all of your Japan What Podcasting needs. And of course, I am having what you, the listener, Mr. Listener or Ms. Listener, are having. Oh. That was a careful, well-planned opening, and cheers to thee. Ah, the listener with the perfect taste for every occasion. Oh, yeah. We are um, just the tourism. I keep on talking about it. Every day, just piles and piles and piles more of tourists coming back into Japan. And if you are um, coming here, up until now, you've had to have, you need to have had had three um, vaccines of the COVID variety, you know, the gene therapy or uh, proof of a PIA, uh, PCR test, like an expensive one uh, prior to coming here. The Japan government seems to be set to drop all of that where you can just come in as you are, uh, like a Nirvana song. So if you are wanting to come to Japan, but you haven't been, you know, you want to take advantage of the very cheap yen, which stops most of us from traveling out of the country. We're still hostages in many ways. We're economic hostages. Uh, But you were worried about the whole vaccine thing because you didn't get the vaccine because you're wondering about why you would want a gene therapy, uh, an experimental one rolled out in in the worst case of the sniffles that the world had ever seen, apparently. Uh, but maybe you can now, maybe you can come on in. And, uh, I think we need more of those types of people because the, the, here's the thing with, um, I don't like tourism. I've, I've traveled a lot. I've been to a lot of places in the world. A lot of the places I've been by myself, you know, you go somewhere far away, maybe you see an acquaintance or meet someone who you met, you know, a long time ago. And that's kind of a reason to get somewhere and go and do something. I've never been into like going to, um, uh, I went to Paris once and I walked around for the day and I got out because it's just obvious, like you're surrounded by millions and millions of tourists. Everybody's got a map in their hand, a bag on their back, and they're they're pointing around at everything as if it's some sort of Disneyland exhibition. Um, you know, it's it's kind of it kind of blows. And the, a lot of the tourists that come to to Japan are very similar, uh, but especially the uh, the European types or the North American types uh, walking around with giant bags and maps and masks and all that. Maybe we need some more unvaccinated tourists here to uh, kind of level it off a little bit because I'm telling you, it's uh, it's a little frustrating. I, I do miss the days uh, when I could walk down the, the middle of the road in, in Roppongi with my eyes closed and not worry about traffic hitting me. <laughs> that was crazy times. Do I miss it? Not really. Uh, but tourism as a whole is kind of a crappy industry, isn't it? No one's really genuine. You're kind of in and out. You you get something from a restaurant that's been prepared by somebody who doesn't live there. And, you know, I, I, I do kind of like, I will say this, when I was going around Prague on my honeymoon, you go into some nice restaurants, that's fine in the, in the traditional quarters of Praha or Vienna or Budapest. That's a kind of a different thing. You're on a mission. Uh, but just walking around with a map, flapping in the breeze, and watching all these other people, you know, posting live onto Facebook from a Starbucks in Kyoto somewhere. All of that I'm amalgamating right now. I'm not really into it, but uh, maybe the unvaccinated tourists could uh, bring some reality back to the uh, the, the the thin veil of, uh, of of ooey gooey tourism that takes over once you're uh, in that industry. For a while, a long while, Japan didn't really have like North Japan. Didn't have much of a tourist industry. You'd have travelers, but you wouldn't have the tourism industry. Now, though, the government's trying to make it like the top tourist class destination in the world. Maybe that's why they're keeping the yen down is to promote the tourism. People like me and most locals, though, never really benefit from that. Uh, those dollars coming in. And a lot of the, the jobs that are created are low-income jobs. So, yeah, screw you, tourists. <laughs> is that what I'm saying? It's kind of what I'm saying. Uh, we're going to begin with the hate read of the week. Very short one as well today. 
Um, new product from Sora News 24. We hate Sora News 24. You hate it. Everyone hates it. And uh, this one's not a bad uh, invention, but I mean, it's for garbage. It's for garbage. Clever cup noodle only measuring cup becomes instant ramen lovers new most wanted kitchenware. Oh, um, is there a way to make cooking cup noodles easier? That may seem like an absurdly lazy ambition, but convenience is the whole point of instant ramen. The easier, the better, we say. And thankfully, that's a philosophy that cup noodle maker Nishin shares with us, as demonstrated by the company's latest invention. This is like a 3,000-word article. No, it's like 200-words article, 200-word article. And it's just a measuring cup that looks like a cup noodle, like an instant ramen thing. And it has, depending on the size of the cup noodle that you want to make, a small, medium, or large, just instead of having 100, 200, or 300 milliliters laid out on a measuring cup, it has the image of the you know small cup noodle or a medium cup noodle or a large cup noodle. And then you just pour that amount of water into the measuring cup and then pour that into your cup noodle to make your instant ramen. That's all it is. But for some reason, Sora News 24 has to really kind of go into it. At first glance, it may just look like an ordinary measuring cup with a cup noodle logo and a few other aesthetic touches from its iconic packaging. But look closer, and you'll see that the units of liquid measurement aren't in metric or imperial units, but cup noodle ones. The lowest line indicating the smallest volume is the amount of hot water you need to add to a cup noodle mini. The middle line, and you get it, it goes on and on. Um, Nishin's tweet, they tweeted out this cup noodle measuring cup, has quickly racked up nearly 140,000 likes as of this writing, along with comments such as, I want this so bad. In regards to that last comment, please start selling these. At the moment, Nishin hasn't yet mentioned anything about offering the cup noodle measuring cup for sale to the general public. But if they decide to start selling them, it wouldn't be the first time one of Nishin's crazy ideas became reality thanks to popular demand. What is that? They link to it. Um, fictitious shopping bags. Okay, there we go. There's your new product. It's not really even a product. It's a prototype for a product that they use for online marketing, I guess. That's not a bad idea. It's pretty smart. But, I mean, it's garbage. Cup noodles are garbage. And I, I eat them sometimes. They're tasty, but they're garbage. And they make you poop weird. So you don't want that either. You don't want this. Um, what we're going to do next is we're going to take a look at... Uh, I've been liking this exercise where I've been tracking these uh, different media organizations... You know, just tracking them just means going and reading, reading them. And the the one that's surprising me the most, and the more I get into this um, exercise, the more I realize the like the the shield that I've been able to you know position myself under in Japan to escape the lootiness of the West of the past 10, 15 years. It's slowly edging in to Japan thanks to Japan's elite institutions. Un. Undoubtedly, regular people in Japan, you know, I've I taught them for 15 years, adults from, you know, communists to ministers to everybody. No one brings up things like on a day to day, like climate change, gender equality. They didn't until very recently. And it's because of the elite institutions kind of bringing in the information onto their brains through their uh, publications um, over and over and over and over and over again. And that's kind of what we're seeing. And uh, the bugs thing, I didn't think it was happening here, but I looked into it. Boom, it's just, we're all eating bugs all of a sudden. We're not, but I mean, they're trying to make it so. Uh, and all of these other things. And I don't really care that much if somebody wants to eat bugs, but it's this whole thing where we have milk milk farmers dumping tons of milk and and chicken um, hatcheries, you know, culling off millions of chickens. And so we don't have as much milk. We still got a lot, but I mean, it drives up the prices and it's always considered like, well, we had to dump it because of this thing. And, oh, we needed to get rid of all of these eggs because of this avian flu. But you're like, is it an avian flu? Or are they just preventing any? Like, is it just like a preventative measure? And then it's always kind of saying, oh, well, and then they kind of say, but we have bugs now. The bugs thing, it's like this idealist communist whisper coming from the futures of time. Like, 
come to North Korea, Japan after World War II. It's a utopia. And then millions, hundreds of, no, tens of thousands of people go and it's just, it's a nightmare waiting. So I view all of this as like um, the, the Tokyo Rose, the whispers from the darks, the sirens attempting to crash your ship onto their rocks. Um, and uh, it used to be fringe, but now it's coming in through the top. I mean, like it's, we're in a downpour. I should have used an umbrella and I, instead of a shield, but we're, we're in a downpour of, of stupid information. And, um, this shield or umbrella that I mentioned that I was able to exist under, I'm not sure if it's going to be, um, adequate moving into the future. Anyways, um, I have this idea that I like doing, and I'm just going to read from the Nikkei Shimbum headlines, uh, focusing one on the Japanese headlines. Um, I mean like Japan news in English. And then the other one will be the Chinese, um, headlines in English, and we'll see which one is more like, hey, we are um, SDG, WAF uh, type people, and which one is the other, which in the, which one is the, hey, we are um, serious economy people trying to make our country uh, grow in very logical economic ways by being kind of dicks about it, but that's the way the economy works. Which way do you think this is going to go, depending on uh, just what I said uh, right now? Let's begin. And I got a promo bed. All right, let's take a look here. Let's begin with Japan. Jack Ma to take up Tokyo University visiting professorship. Alibaba founder to lecture on management business startups. That's pretty cool. It's kind of China, though. Jack Ma's China homeschooling heralds a new era for Alibaba. China offers olive branch to entrepreneur as Jack Ma returns. Uh, Japan. Astellas, uh, Japan's Astellas Pharma agrees to buy Ivoric Bio for $5.9 billion. Company's cross-border acquisition of U.S. drug maker to be its biggest ever. Oh, that's pretty good, actually. Well, in terms of business. Uh, Japan's Gyukaku barbecue chain operator pushes big overseas push. Plots. Uh, okay, sure. Mideast and Africa in plan to quintuple locations. That's just an idea. We'll never know if it happens. Japan and Egypt seek resumption of democratic transition in Sudan. Right, because Japan and Sudan have such a rich history of democracy together. Japan's PM Kishida approval rating recovers past 50%. Uh, G7 should adopt risk-based uh, AI regulation, ministers say. Message of Japanese feminist Chizuko Ueno resonates in China. It's like a manga thing for chicks. Sorry, chicks. Japan's Sumitomo taps into insect feed business. Trading house aims to sell 30,000 tons of food for farmed fish by 2030 in Japan. Yeah, so it's this thing where they say it's your culture. Then they just turn it into a factory nightmare. Um, SoftBank arms registers for blockbuster US IPO. Ooh, that is big. But that SoftBank in it, it exists outside of the Japanese sphere for the most part. They're, they're rebels, in my opinion. Uh, okay, anything else? That's about it. Foothills of Mount Fuji emerge as proving grounds for startups. Mm, maybe, I'm not sure. We don't know yet. All right, so you can kind of tell that we got a little bit of pharma, a little bit of plans, and a little bit of wackiness. Is it really that big of an idea that Jack Ma is going to visiting professorship at Tokyo University. Maybe for Todai, it can get some people in there, but we is he going to be able to like speak out against his, you know, being uh, interned or disappeared by China for a while? All right. China's pro soccer stumbles, this is the China ones, as new season ticks, uh, kicks off. Declining fortunes of owners, sponsors are overshadowing top leagues. China's stocks falter as far-flung regions struggle to recover. A U.S. ready to aid Philippine resupplies in South China Sea. China's Ding <laughs> defies odds to become world-class chess champion. Wow. China manufacturing PMI unexpectedly cools in April. Uh, U.S. tells China to stop harassing Philippine ships. That's pretty big. Material prices drop sharply and concerns about Chinese lockdowns. Well, that's pretty good. ASEAN, Japan, and others eye broader currency safety net. Scandal-ridden Chinese soccer. Uh, does this really matter, the Chinese soccer thing? U.S.-China flights still down 94% as post-COVID recovery delayed. 
Um, Apple's Taiwan suppliers lead renewed pivot from China. Last one, India sends Pakistan a message. Pusa, okay, big deal. So looking at the differences between those two, I would say they're not that different for today, although the um, the China ones seem to be a lot more relevant. Uh, Sudan democracy with Japan, not really sure how, how big that is. Uh, Chinese stocks, far-flung regions. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be a lot in either way. The reason I'm bringing it up, though, one of the reasons is uh, the... Um, Editors of the of the Nikkei, I've been following them on Twitter. One of them has been posting things like the uh, Yuval Harari, the the high priest of the World Economic Forum, and how he's an intellectual thinker about how we're hacking the human brains and stuff like that. These people have a real dark um, vision for humanity, and people that just kind of go along with what they say because they're part of this organization called the WEF, the World Economic Forum, who's Founder Klaus Schwab wrote COVID-19 and the Great Reset. And then they pose in front of COVID-19, sorry, um, World Economic Forum, you know, backdrops at these events with G7 behind them. And they're like, hey, it's the World Economic Forum and G7. But nobody says like, hey, so you're, why, why did, what, what is your, what are your thoughts on the founder's book, COVID-19, the Great Reset? Nobody, nobody asked that. I kind of compare it to like, um, hey, hey, your leader is this Hitler guy for this Nazi group, and he wrote a book called Mein Kampf. Have you have you asked him about that? What 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 is what is how much is this Mein Kampf, my struggle, affecting the politics of the Nazi Party in Germany in the nineteen thirties and forties? It actually turned out to be quite a lot. So with all these people, kind of dancing their political dance underneath these World Economic Forum banners. And I, and I just kind of go, well, what about the Great Reset with Klaus Schwab? He wrote that book, COVID-19, The Great Reset. Nobody asked that question, which means they're all bought and paid off for because you, I want to know. Oh, yeah, we read that book and we, we, we consider it, but not really. It's, it's not even anything. If you bring it up, you're considered a lunatic. I, I've gotten into serious arguments with friends who say like, why do you bring up this book? It's a conspiracy theory. I'm like, I don't know what that even means. They're like, yeah, all these weffers, all these, uh, all these great resetters, they say that there's a great reset, and it's just a conspiracy theory. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is that this guy called Klaus Schwab, and I studied um, World Economic Forum for years when I was doing the AI school at a telecommunications company in Japan, just because they would have AI topics at their events and it became interested in it. And it was a way to kind of understand some research ideas, some applications, some market investments. And, you know, people would have panel discussions and culturally you could kind of see what a, what India wanted to do, what China wanted to do, what Germany wanted to do. And it was kind of like a, a mild interest. And then boom, COVID hits and Amazon recommends me Klaus Schwab's book, COVID-19, The Great Reset. And I'm like, this is weird. What the what the fudge is going on here, guys? Uh, and so they, they danced underneath these umbrellas, chanting these chants, and they repeat all the same vocabulary to each other. Uh, but we just kind of go along with it as a population. We don't even realize it. I mean, the, the imagery is everywhere, but it's ubiquitous, but it's silent at the same time. Which brings us to the next topic. All of these people, by the way, are they're not very... They don't strike me as very capable. They uh, they strike me as people who whose grandparents inherited a lot of wealth and positions after the war, and they've kind of inherited them. But they're not the the brightest of the bunch, and I don't know if they're just placeholders and they're waiting for something really to happen once capable people come along, or are they just shuffling along the agenda like mid level managers at a corporation who are there for a few years and talk passionately about the company's aims, but then quit suddenly and find another job? Are they like those types of people, kind of psychopaths when you think about it? Or are they very serious about their aims? Um, this comes to us from Kyoto News via japantoday.com. Uh, this is the G7 agreed to pursue responsible AI amid rapid spread of chat GPT use. Now, I said that these people aren't very smart or clever, and I'm going to read this, and I have a follow-up that explains why I think that they are 
kind of very dangerous people because you're putting total ideologues with no real know-how in, in, into these positions that are going to affect us all. I use chat GPT more than I thought I would. Uh, I find it's great um, for, I was doing some sound engineering and I was wondering about why my inputs were at one level and my output was at another level when I thought I was making them the same. And I tried finding it on Google and YouTube and it's just countless promotional articles from YouTube. Like, hey, welcome to my channel and we got the doop it do And then five minutes in, they kind of mention what you're talking about, but not really. I got tired of all that. Or it's like, hey, 10 tips for your studio practice and the article's out of date and it's mentioning things you don't really need. I just put into chat GPT, I'm using Logic Pro X and my output levels are higher than my input levels. What are some reasons why? And immediately it gave me six reasons why. And three of them were the reasons that I was looking for. I was panning things right and left which would increase the amount of volume going through the end of the signal chain compared to the beginning of the signal chain. Just kind of technical, technical jargon, but it immediately made sense and I readjusted for that and then I could do my level matching and it required me to put one sentence into chat GPT. That is the genius behind chat GPT. That is crazy good, by the way. There's no advertising either, and it just kind of gives me the answer. Now, it did not give me the answers I was looking for when I tried to make a, make a, a dialogue between a conspiracy theorist trying to convince uh, an angel investor to um, uh, market uh, vaccines for children by stabbing them in the eyes. It said, no, we cannot do that. It is not safe. <laughs> it refused to. It refused to. Um, write dystopian uh, futuristic uh, dialogues for me. So it does have its limitations. But let's begin with this article. G7 to agree to G7 agreed to pursue responsible AI amid rapid spread of ChatGPT use. This comes for us to from Takasaki Guma Prefecture. Oh, I hate the G7. The group of seven advanced nations on Sunday agreed to promote responsible use of artificial intelligence as they seek to harness rapidly developing technologies such as AI bot chat GPT that could be highly beneficial but also pose privacy concerns and the risks of being misused. I don't know how chat GPT poses privacy concerns. It's not an AI camera pointed at your balls. As exchange of data become a key part of global trade, digital and technology ministers from Japan, the United States, and European nations also affirmed during their two-day meeting in eastern Japan the need to establish an international arrangement to enhance the free flow of trusted data across national borders. Now, uh, to enhance the free flow of trusted data across national borders. That is the World Economic Forum's uh, fourth Industrial Revolution Group's talking point. There's a Fourth Industrial Revolution Center in Tokyo, and they talk about free flow of data. F uh, fourth Industrial um, Revolution uh, Japan free flow of data. I'm just typing this into my browser right now. And this comes to us, WEF Forum uh, Data Governance um, Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution and it says, uh, the Davos meeting in 2019, Japan presented data free flow with trust as a framework for promoting data exchange. So this comes to us from wefforum.org, what I'm just reading here. And then what I was reading to you before was from the news, from Kyoto News. So what happens is these um, elites from Tokyo University and Sophia University get these positions. They write white papers and, and promote this sort of thing in, 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 in coordination with the private sector side of the G7 summits. Those talking points then get transferred over into the government side of things. Then the government starts enacting those on those things. So it's a WEF, World Economic Forum, talking point being transferred into the governments of the G7 at these meetings that uh, transpire um, across the world all the time now, it seems. The G7 just seems to be not able to shut up. The gathering, so that's, I just did that right now off the cuff. I saw that, um, that enhanced the free flow of trusted data in the paragraph. I put it into a search browser and it immediately came back from the worldeconomicforum.org uh, proving that it's from a few years ago, proving that it's that transfer that I was talking about. 
Where else do you get this information? MatthewPMBigelow.com is where you get this information. The gathering took place as the fast-moving pace of AI development has highlighted the need for international standards to govern the technology. With ChatGPT, made by U.S. venture OpenAI, founded by Elon Musk as an open-source thing to promote the democratization of artificial intelligence, then privatized and invested in by Microsoft, a.k.a. Bill Gates. Um... So J- ChatGPT, which is a Microsoft arm, is now going to be part of the World Economic Forum um, push into the world governments for their um, technical, not know-how, it's more like technical uh, note-taking and uh, amalgamation of data that occurs at these meetings. You don't need to have a bunch of transcribers. AI can transcribe it, and then you can just ask the transcription service to give you what you need based on what you want from that meeting's notes. Hold on a second. ChatGPT, whose users reached 100 million around the world in less than three months, this is also the advantage of AI software-based programming where you don't need to put all these programs into a box and ship them around the world on boats and trucks and everything. It's distributed through the internet onto your phone and it's way more reliable than even a lot of the products you get. I mean... I was. I have a whole bunch of um, Bluetooth headphones that I have, and the 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 Bluetooth functionality and the battery functionality in these headphones now lasts for years. But the physical properties of the devices themselves break down rather easily. They're made of plastic, or you know, they wears out after a couple of years. So the functionality and capability of digital processes now far exceeds their physical housing, which is why we're putting them into the cloud, right? But again, these people are not the brightest, as I want to uh, focus on after this reading. They also endorsed an action plan towards creating an open enabling environments for responsible AI innovation. Responsible AI innovation, in my opinion, come, means um, a neutered, um, nerfed AI that gives you the tools they want you to have to perform the tasks that they're going to give you in the future. It's like... Um, it makes everything much more efficient, but it only makes it efficient for what we want you to do. Um, they call for broader stakeholder participation. Stakeholder participation is another world economic talking point. Klaus Schwab has the concept of stakeholder capitalism. Prime Minister Kishida said he wants to have a new capitalism, and that new capitalism is stakeholder capitalism. When when Kishida and, and Klaus Schwab meet in person, which they do, it's well documented, one will talk about new capitalism, Kishida, and the other will talk about stakeholder capitalism, but they're interchangeable. Klaus Schwab uses stakeholder capitalism. In this one, it's broader stakeholder participation. In developing international standards over AI governance frameworks and promoting dialogue on topics such as risk assessment. With the COVID um, rollout of the apps, the tracking apps, and the QR codes, um, QR codes can be wonderful technology, it's, it's, it, it, all of these things are two-way streets or, or double-edged swords where if you have um, distributed um, decentralized currency like Bitcoin, the QR code, your QR code links to your Bitcoin wallet and my QR code links to my Bitcoin wallet. So when we present our QR codes to each other, we can exchange freely between each other. But with the COVID-19 rollout apps, the, uh, my QR code represented the government's medical bureaucracy to access everything to me. But that, bureau, that QR code was a wall. I could not gain access to much inside of the bureaucracy. It was using the QR code to track everything about me, but using that same um, track everything about me, but using the QR code as a wall where I didn't know where I could contact someone. There was no number to call. There was no place to go to. And then, you know, the government with their engineers, their software engineers, were able to update all that programming on the other side of the app and re-deliver it to me without my say at all. So... With this idea of um, ChatGPT being in the cloud and infrastructure of, of networks and in our phones and then into our jobs, it also gives a very wide approach for um, upper management powers in our lives to constantly dictate and reiterate or change as they want um, the functionality of the program 
to push us into ways that deliver what they want. So it's like we are the robots in a way. It's like a conjoined robotic twin where the the program has no free will of itself, but because of the limitations of its of uh, that are being imposed on it, we program the we facilitate the the program's actions. That's kind of what it is. So this this chat GPT, according to these people, they want it to they want it to nerf it, limit it, and then we interact with it. It eventually gives them what they want in exchange for some sort of quote unquote um, convenience or on on our end. Right now, it still is very convenient, but like I said, try to get it to write uh, propaganda for you, and it will understand that it's not a good idea. Um, Speaking at a press conference, Japanese Internal Affairs and Communications Minister Takeake Matsumoto emphasized that AI uh, use could be beneficial to humankind. Uh, centuries have so far differed, countries have so far differed in their approaches on how to balance this use um, and to promote the so-called, oh, now it's um, <laughs> capitalized, data free flow with trust, a concept proposed by Japan. Now, Proposed by Japan, but the fourth industrial revolution group in Japan. It's very different. It's very different. The G7 ministers noted that the need to accelerate and optionalize, operationalize the idea, calling that data an enabler of economic growth, development, and social well-being. And so it goes on and on and on. Um, oh, the G7 just can't shut up, can they? Now, I wanted to say that this whole idea of these people with these ideas, and in this picture that I'll be posting onto MatthewPMBigelow.com, in the center of this picture of the G7 um, digital tech uh, ministers meeting, uh, which was in Takasaki Guma Prefecture, is the politician, the very popular, very famous popular politician, Taro Kono. And he's a Japanese politician who ran to be prime minister last time and lost to Mr. Kishida. I was looking at one of the um, Fourth Industrial Revolution Japan's tweets, and they were they had like, hey, we had a meeting, and it was like everybody at the meeting. And I noticed that there was two Tarokonos, and I zoomed in on the feet, and one of the Tarokonos was like on a pedestal, meaning that they were like one of the Tarokonos was a dummy Tarokono. Um, and the other one was a real title Kono, and they were probably just next to each other to show each other's likeness, and it was a fun time and everything. And I was wondering, like, that's kind of weird, but okay, that's what they do. They're kind of strange. But then the um, NHK Japan featured the um, other, the fake title Kono, not the WEF puppet, uh, sorry, not the WEF supporter, uh, but the the robotic title Kono, and it was a it was a, po- a apparently. This is an AI-enabled robot that looks like Taro Kono, Mr. Taro Kono, and it can talk and it can gesture and it does all of these things. Now, I'm going to play this um, Taro Kono robot speaking from the video uh, published by uh, NHK Japan. And let me, and this is what I'm going to say. This robot sucks it's from like it looks like it looks like it could be something from a terminator 2 movie in 1991 um it looks like an animatronic that would greet you at a hotel and i don't see anything ai or anything robotic about it here we go welcome you all to ikaho onsen that's it and it shows this this taro kono guy who, who, when he's moving around, doesn't look like Taro Kono. It looks like a... Welcome you all to Ikaho Onsen. That's not him talking. It's the AI talking. No, it's maybe like a, a language model that studied him and sounds kind of like him. But if you saw that, you would not go, wow, wow, these people need to be in charge of our AI decisions. You see this and you go... These people have these major plans for all of us on how we're going to use this technology and they can barely even get off their fucking asses and make something competent. Chat GPT is incredibly competent. And to take these people who put more emphasis on the fake Taro, Konotaro's tie and how much his tie looks like the real Konotaro's tie 
and they try to implement an AI system that's not an AI system where if you showed it to anybody under the age of 45 and said, that's an AI robot, they would say, no, this is stupid bullshit you're putting in my face. And then they say, yeah, but we're going to control how you're going to use AI in the future because we're part of the G7 summit. You would say, oh my God, we are in we are in a lot of trouble here. We are in way too much trouble. <laughs> it's a lot of trouble. And that's my point. These people talk a big game. They don't know what they're doing. And when you look at their actions, not their words, they suck. And Nikkei Asia needs to get it into their heads that that's the case. Otherwise, they're just going to become an SDG funnel pouring and ringing out the soapy remnants of this stupid propaganda onto all of us in Japan for years to come. And I foresee people tuning you out. And I hope they do. Uh, I was going to subscribe, but then I read all your news headlines and a few articles and I go, huh, this is, this is not really economic news. This is just SDG, WEF uh, propaganda. So um, you can take all that and shove it up your ass. Thank you. And it's not just Nikkei that's doing that. It's, it's all of these people. Because, you know, working in mainstream journalism, you, you quickly understand that almost nobody in there understands anything about the technology. The old people certainly don't. They think it's, like, um, quirky. And the young people just use it on their phones. And they don't, most of them don't actually know what it is that they're doing. But the developers and engineers and, and, and the technicians inside of the telecommunications and everything else, they understand what they're doing. And when they see stuff like this, they also go, hmm, that's pretty disheartening. So it's not just Nikkei, it's pretty widespread. And I know this because I was there and I'm doing it now. We're going to take a look at um, a couple of Japan Society 5.0s as a follow-up here. One that is, in my opinion, a good approach and one that is very questionable. Industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology based, human centered society. industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. There's the fourth industrial revolution again in the Japanese government um, song that they made for their Japan Society 5.0 plans, which includes stupid robots that look like people but don't sound or do much anything like them at all. But that's the future and they're going to regulate it. We're going to take a look at two um, startups or uh, the G7 one is very broad based and it's kind of stupid and silly. Um, but I also want to focus on more things that have a, a targeted approach and one is a good one and one is a questionable one. So let's take a look at first at the questionable one and just this person's background and the way that they kind of got into this thing makes me question them. This comes to us from, this comes to us from the Mainichi Japan's Daily News since 1922. And what day is this published on? April 29th, and today is May 1st. Happy May Day, everybody. Uh, to all the communists out there. Japan, Japanese biomass venture using microorganisms to tackle waste disposal. This, to me, seems like a iffy thing right off the beginning uh, because it has, it's like it reads like a SEO, a search engine optimization type of thing where it's okay it's japanese it's biomass micro microorganisms waste disposal okay uh, sure i get it a japanese startup has developed a new method of decomposing organic waste using microorganisms enabling ordinary citizens to contribute to environmental protection and help mitigate global warming because before this ordinary citizens were just stupid idiots who had no choice Comham Inc., a company based in Sapporo, the capital city of Hokkaido, gets its name from the waste decomposing bacteria it produces. The technology drastically reduces organic refuse, including livestock manure and sewage sludge, cutting greenhouse gas emissions produced by the transportation and incineration of waste necessary in conventional disposal methods. So we're down into the fourth or fifth paragraph, third or fourth paragraph here. We have no idea what is going on with this thing, which makes, that's where I kind of get suspicious. I'm like, well, what is it? Tell me. 
Quote, I want environmental protection to be a part of everyday life, not just something that big companies and entities with lots of money and time do, said Suno Nishiyama, 35, founder of Comham. Again, I don't know what that means! Quote, I know reducing waste is necessary for environmental protection, but it can be difficult, especially if it means changing one's lifestyle, she says, admitting that she sometimes feels guilty too if she orders takeout and has to throw the leftovers in the garbage during a busy working week. What a what a horrible human. Send her to the camps. Uh, get her get into those Australian or Chinese camps. Quote, no, we're not going to quote her anymore. The, the quotes are stupid. The company supplies bacteria that can process 98% of organic waste into water and carbon dioxide in just 24 hours, eliminating the need to turn it into compost, which is often not put to use. Fresh bacteria are added every three months for quality control. Now, this is very suspicious. I mean... If it can do, if it if it can process ninety percent of organic waste into water in twenty four hours, why why haven't this why hasn't this been used all the time? It's like those people who said, "I used to have a car that ran on water until the government found it, and then they took the device away, and now I'm a slave to the gasoline industry." And you're like, "Well." Why don't you just make another one, you know? Okay, according to Nishiyama, Komham uses dry leaves. Uh, Komham means dry leaves in the Ainu language. The Ainu are an indigenous group to Japan. Although the company was founded in Japan January 2020 and specializes in biomass technology, Nishiyama, who spent several years in the public relations industry, oh, so she's media, uh, has no background in scientific research or managing a company, but she's going to solve all of her problems within 24 hours with this device that she has. But because just as she got her startup venture up and running, though, coronavirus hit, but eventually she was able to secure an investment of $371,000 or 50 million yen um, from a university. And then um, Comham partnered with several different entities that have utilized its waste disposal technology, including Tokyo Shibuya Ward. The project, the venture plans to sell standalone smart compost boxes containing the bacteria next year. The smart compost system measures the amount of food waste disposal of and provides residual battery information. Although tech startups usually run by engineers, I believe the fact that I don't have a research background is actually an advantage, she said. Nishiyama intends to expand the distribution of its compost boxes. Um, And so there we go. Uh, again, you want to know what this thing does and how it works, but it, it it doesn't make any sense to me. This is dubious as fudge, man. This is flipping dubious. Again, I read this and I have no idea what I just read. And I'm reading it to you to say a lot of these um, 5.0 things really make no sense at all. But one that does make sense, and this, you know, I'm going to be posting the images to all this stuff at MatthewPMBigelow.com. The next one um, is NTT Group, one of Japan's major telecommunications networks. Hanshin Expressway study new traffic management using digital technology. Now, this type of thing works very well because it's layered on top of something that already exists and is proven. All right. Um, so the, the NTT is and, and Hanshin Expressway of using a traffic management system utilizing digital technology. Um, the joint study aims to realize a new traffic management system using digital technology that contributes to the alignment of urban road traffic by organizing and examining necessary technical elements, operational methods, and information to alleviate daily traffic congestion and traffic congestion caused by large-scale construction projects and large-scale events and by verifying the effectiveness of the system. This would be incorporating real-time data on top of existing maps um, so that you would know about construction projects before you get to them. You know, so if you're if you know about a route and you haven't been on that route for a while and you go in on that route and the route's drastically changed and it hasn't been updated on the maps and everything, you would know about it. And how you would know about it is one thing that would be way to deliver it. But studying the infrastructural level of these things means that it can be boiled down to the individual level. Oper- overview of joint study. Uh, This joint study emphasizes balancing the diverse mobility needs of of individuals with the rectification of urban road traffic and aims to achieve this through the implementation of new traffic management uh, through the following initiatives. Um, Digital twins. Digital twins are great. 
it's the copy of something that's in real time, right? So we have all these ideas that AI is going to understand our emotions and we're going to interact with it in real time and it's going to be like our friend or our enemy and then it's going to take over the world. The real kind of stupid ideas in my opinion. But digital twins, I mean, if, if we all have mobile devices in our pockets and our cars and it's measuring how fast we're going, it already does this. Um, the digital twin of a society, of a city, would be understanding exactly where all that traffic is going uh, in real time. And then if, if, if we have accidents or something like that, begin rerouting in advance before you end up in the middle of a traffic jam. Stuff like that. It's stupid. It's very basic. It's kind of like watching how uh, somebody improves the manufacturing process of a hose. Like, hey, we're, we used to have a hose that wasn't good, but now everybody all of a sudden has these great hoses. How did that happen? Well, we... We rejiggered the manufacturing process of the hose, and now everybody has a hose, and now water waste goes down, and individual consumption goes up, and da 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 da. This type of thing with um, analyzing data traffic in real time with AI and digital twins means that engineers can utilize that data uh, and, and and try to find solutions based for real time problems based on real-time data. And that's a lot different than looking at the world in terms of AI as some sort of friend now, but enemy later that's going to take over. And then people go, well, what if the AI decides to crash all the cars with this new management system? And you kind of go, it's not a Hollywood movie. It's kind of like saying, what if I'm writing on a word processor and the word processor um, starts um, controlling my own fingers and writes a manifesto? You'd be like, why, why would that even happen? Why would the word processor do that? It's the same idea with like, well, if it's AI, it's obviously going to make its own city full of traffic. <laughs> what? No, no, no. We're talking about this data that we have that can be used in experiments to try to solve solutions based on the problems that people actually have. Not a lot of people who are driving around the city experience problems with um, facing an existential threat of some AI that's going to program them based on some sort of mad scientist in the future. Most people driving around the city are kind of going, I hope I miss, don't miss this green light or, oh, there's this traffic over there. I wonder how I can avoid that. By use, utilizing the, the data that's being generated from everybody moving around with devices with sensors on them anyways, solutions to those problems can be possibly met. I'm not saying they will be met, but we're looking at a, at a concrete future solution to something that exists right now with applications that can be developed to meet those needs. It's not as, it's not as interesting as, as the other stuff. I will admit it, but it's something that will be developed that we will enjoy in the future without even thinking about it. Uh, there we go. So that's my society 5.0 for today. Um, one stupid solution, some crazy woman from a marketing division that's going to solve all of our garbage problems by turning our waste into water and within 24 hours with some bacteria we sprinkle into a box in our kitchen or um, telecommunications, ne telecommunications networks developing digital twins to solve traffic problems based on the data that we're generating anyways. Take your pick. Take your pick. I know what I'm picking. I'm picking my nose. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of... Have you considered donating to the Japan What Podcast? Of course not. But maybe now is the time. By going to MatthewPMBigelow.com, you can review the show notes, get pictures and more. You can also download a podcasting 2.0 compliant app, such as Podverse, Fountain, Podcast Addict. Hook up your Bitcoin wallet and send us sats directly. Sats are a form of Bitcoin that uh, enables on the Lightning Network people who listen to podcasts to transfer their value for value to another podcaster. You can also go to paypal.me 
forward slash Japan W-U-T. Make a donation now. There are no other podcasts in the world that are doing what we are doing here for you at the Japan What Podcast. So make a donation, hmm? Or at least go to MatthewPMBigelow.com, pay us a visit, and drive some traffic our way. Thank you very much. Next, we're going to move on to the best segment. Super Gadget of the Week. Super Gadget, best G-O-T-W. This comes to us from LiveDoor.com, translated by ChatGPT. A man of Indian nationality who was arrested on suspicion of kissing and assaulting a four-year-old girl on a train has been released without indictment. On March 20, in March 2021, a man of Indian nationality living in Ushiku Ibaraki Prefecture, who was arrested on suspicion of assaulting a four-year-old girl by kissing her hand on a train that was stopped at JR Hamamatsu Station, was not prosecuted by the Hamamatsu branch of the Shizuoka District Public Prosecutor's Office on April 27th. The man, who is unemployed and 40 years old, allegedly kissed the hand of the girl who was living in the western Shizuoka prefecture um, area on an upward-bound train on the Tokaido main line that was stopped at JR Hamamatsu Station. He was arrested on April 25, 2023, on suspicion of assault. The Hamamatsu branch of the Shizuoka District Public Prosecutor's Office has not disclosed the reason for not prosecuting the case. All I can say is I don't care if you're white, black, brown, whatever, whoever you are, whatever your identity, a she, a jure, a he, a him, a they, a them, a they be, a maybe. What you don't do is you don't uh, get on the train and walk up to little girls and start kissing them anywhere on their bodies. If you do, I think you should be prosecuted. I think this guy should... um, I who knows what happens. I'm not going to be Mr. Vigilante on this podcast. What am I telling you? But you will become the stupid gaijin of the week. Stupid gaijin of the week. Stupid gaijin. Best G-O-T-W. Ooh. We're going to have to do a high or not high segment right now. This next set, uh, this is weird. High or not high. Now, as somebody who, uh, you know, I, I I believe in COVID nineteen. I think it's a thing. I'm not I'm not somebody who says it's a it's snake venom being poured into the drains, which was one idea. But I'm not saying it's. Uh, I don't think it was. I'm on the bio lab leak side of things. Um, but the fear was crazy. And so I'm not a big fan of Mr. Anthony Fauci, uh, but Japan is a U.S. COVID advisor, Fauci among Japan's spring decorations recipients. High or not high? Are these people high in Japan? This Fauci guy is not, I really don't like him. I think he's a psychopath. You look into his um, dealings with AIDS you look on his flip-flopping. He's a long-term bureaucrat. He's in his 80s. I don't trust the guy. He's a Jesuit. Not a Jew, right? I don't care about all that. But that type of, that type of I don't know, power seeker inside of administrations. Um, you just look at his very, very weird history. He helped fund the, the Wuhan through the Wuhan um, Virology, uh, the Wuhan Vi- the Institute of Virology, sorry. He helped fund the Wuhan Institute of Virology through Peter Daszak with EcoHealth Alliance. And they always say, no, we didn't. We just gave them money. It wasn't funding. You're like, okay, <laughs> I kind of think it was. But anyways, high or not high, American physician Anthony Fauci, who served as COVID-19 advisor to two U.S. administrations, is among the foreigners recognized in this year's spring decorations for their notable contributions to Japan, the government said Saturday. 
Fauci, 82, who was the director of the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases from 1984 to 2022, will receive the Order of the Rising Sun Gold and Silver Star for his work during the pandemic and his contribution to promoting medical cooperation. Yeah, medical cooperation and the strengthening of relations with Japan. Fauci, who served under former U.S. President Donald Trump and his successor Joe Biden, said it was truly a great honor to receive such recognition. Uh, The coronavirus pandemic came toward the end of Fauci's tenure. As partisan conflicts over vaccination and mask wearing raged in the United States, Fauci received death threats. But he continued to provide information based on science, saying... The best way to counter misinformation is to flood the system with correct information. He also praised Japan for its handling of the pandemic, saying, There were many things that Japan did successfully to dampen the effect of the pandemic. We in the United States can learn from Japan and vice versa. Um, There we go. Makes me so angry. Comments have been disabled. You can no longer respond to this thread. (laughs) Wow. The comments are like, he is a true hero. He is a demon. Uh, He is a true hero. He is a demon. Dr. Fauci had to put up with so much BS from Trump. Oh, the the comment section of Japan today is really where you want to go to hate read. But anyways... High or not high, I think there's a lot of high people in Japan or they just, it seems to me like it's super compromised at the top these days. Are they high or not high? High. Or not high. Obviously high. We're going to do a couple of war segments right now. Time for some war. Forty-eight Japanese returned to Tokyo after evacuating from Sudan. This is the Asahi Shimbun. One thing I will say that's good about Japan is that they go with their planes and they rescue their people in these countries and they come back with them very quickly. They're very di- diligent about that. They get the plane, they shoot out there. They round everyone up who wants to come back, and they just come right back. No fuss, no muss. It's really um, efficient, under the radar, as 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 you could say. And, and it, I think it's a really great, great, great way. It's a really great way um, to uh, just maintain safety for your people. Forty-eight Japanese arrived in Japan early twenty-nine, early April twenty-ninth, from strife-torn Sudan after evacuating to nearby Djibouti. Sheikh Djibouti, foreign ministry official, said 65 Japanese nationals had evacuated from Sudan. Um, medical doctor Nobuyuki Kawahara, who heads the nonprofit organization Rosantias, a Kita Kyushu-based group providing medical support in Sudan, Kawahara told reporters, I felt like crying when I saw Mount Fuji. Um... The latest safe arrivals brought an end to the Self-Defense Forces mission dispatched to Djibouti to evacuate those who wanted to leave Sudan. The SDF members will return to Japan once preparations are complete. Several Japanese nationals opted to remain in Sudan despite fears the country is plunging into civil war. Um, According to sources, a man in his 60s who has been in Sudan since June 2022... uh, Fled for Ethiopia. All right, ba 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 ba. All right. So, anyways, good for Japan uh, for coming back then. And but the Business Insider magazine um, said uh, fighters in Sudan have seized a bio lab containing contagious disease pathogens, raising fears of a deadly outbreak. Now, what I would like to say is that um, according to Doctor Fauci's take on things in the COVID pandemic. This should be labeled as false information and racist. First of all, this probably, um, if anything happens with these pathogens, it would not be coming from a bio lab. It would be coming from climate change. That we all know. That was the science that was promoted. And as we all know, the science had spoken. So, shh, the science has spoken. 
And we, if something does happen with this Sudan area, in no way should we call it the Sudan flu because that would be racist. We should call it something else. And if you do say Sudan flu, you should be banned from all media and everyone should hate you because that's what happens according to the science. Um, and Sudan is, of course, uh, just a heaven on earth. And if we say anything bad about it, like we did with China, or some bad people did, well, then that, that's just, it's not acceptable. So everything that happens with this biolab, uh, with the rebels seizing the biolab, they're probably just going to make nice sense with it. S-C-E-N-T-S. And they're going to put it onto postcards and mail their families and they will get these nice scents. They go, oh, that smells like vanilla. Because if anything bad happens next to a biolab, never the biolab's fault ever. It's some sort of market nearby, okay, with bats in it. And those are bad, okay? And that's because of climate change. And you can't say it's from a, you can't say Sudan flu. You have to give it another name. Maybe Shlovid 2022. And that would be fine. That would be great, actually. That would be great. It would be on brand. And then we could bring in more responses to it. Because if anything happens, 30 million people might get tested and five people might die. So we need to lock down all the private roads right now to stop this thing from happening. That is our wonderful uh, advice that we're going to take away from the past three years given to us in part because of the great, the wonderful, the, the rising order of the World Star Japan Rising Sun Award, Mr. Fauci. Thank you. One more, one more war report. It's so stupid, isn't it? Um, this, one comes, this one's a little bit more realistic. And I, I like this, I like this, this jingle as well played again. Die for the war, everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Japan's new five-year ocean policy calls for tougher maritime security. This comes to us from Mari Yamaguchi via japantoday.com. Japan adopted a new five-year ocean policy on Friday that calls for stronger maritime scrutiny, security, including bolstering its Coast Guard's capability and cooperation with the military as China grows increasingly assertive in regional areas. Military? There's no military in Japan. There's a self-defense forces. Yamaguchi-san, you should know this. The new basic plan on ocean policy adopted by Prime Minister Fumio Kishida's cabinet also says Japan must accelerate the development of autonomous underwater vehicles and remotely operated robots to strengthen its surveillance capability. This is crazy. If you look at um, the Chinese maritime capabilities right now, they got just drones and drones and drones out the wazoo. I don't know why everybody else is is lollygagging and saying we oh, we got to we aim to develop some new drones. Well, it's like well China just has 700,000 of them, I guess. And you're like, "Well, we might consider it." That's our plan. It cited a list of threats: Chinese Coast Guard ships repeated intrusions into Japanese territorial waters, growing unauthorized maritime activity by, quote, foreign survey boats, end quote inside Japan's exclusive economic zone, increasing joint military exercises by China and Russia and North Korea's repeated missile launches. Quote, The situation in the ocean around Japan is increasingly tense, Kishida said at a policy meeting Friday. Quote, it's time, to us, it's time for us to unite our wisdom among the industry, academia, and government for ocean policy reform or ocean transformation. End quote. It's finally not weft talking points. Yeah, wouldn't that be funny? In fact, according to me, Matt Bigelow, who studied AI, ocean transportation is just a weft talking point. No, it's not. He also noted the need to better use maritime resources to achieve carbon neutrality. Oh, okay. Well, now we're right back to it then. <laughs> the new open, the new ocean policy is in line with Japan's new national security strategy that Kishida's government adopted in December in a major break from the self-defense-only principle that the country has maintained under its post-war pacifist constitution. Anyways, I think it's good for... Um, uh, Japan to develop something that's more in line with the, you know, the, the world in 2023. Um, 
it could be a little bit late. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what type of Japan hates drones. There's no drone zones everywhere. Um, they they're still stuck in this real like rigid mentality where you have to have helicopters. You don't have drones. Uh, drones uh, are, are are surveillance um, risks, but you still have helicopters. So there's so much um, legacy policy in Japan, and in a way that's good because you just don't have a whole bunch of new technological garbage being dumped on you. But in a way that's bad because a lot of people still say, "Send us a fax machine to learn more about our cloud AI business." And you're like, "Okay, send us a fax machine. Send us a fax. If you want to learn more about our cloud, send us a fax." Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't think that's the way it goes. We, we want to develop AI programs, and here's a shitty Taro, uh, Taro Kono talking in an accent that could be his, greeting you to an onsen that you'll never go to. You're like, mm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about that. We aim to develop underwater drones. Well, uh, that takes probably like 10, 15 years. How are you going to make that? If, if China is using all the chips, obviously, to, to manufacture their own uh, maritime forces and all that. So... All these things are going on. Um, it seems like uh, Japan is kind of stuck. The the elite classes, in my estimation, are captured by the uh, World Economic Forum, by the G7. They're not allowed to go out and do their own thing. They're constantly restricted. And all of their efforts are, are mitigated in a way that just makes all of their efforts look kind of weak and weeny as a response. I'm sure that's not always the case, but that's the way it's presented um, to the world. And um, they're always saying, hey, we plan to do this, we aim to do that, we, but nothing ever happens because of it. So we're constantly going in like a, in, in spirals, chasing nothing tails, bridges to nowhere uh, with these giant policies that don't affect any change. And to justify it, People will spend hours and hours and hours on a robotic necktie without thinking about the actual effects that that robot could possibly do in the world. And that is um, uh, a slice of the pie that is, that is an example of the wider picture here in Japan where we have a very low yen. People have uh, less economic security, actually. And we see um, fewer and fewer opportunities uh, as the World Economic Forum and the, and, the, and the New World Order, as it were, imposes their will upon us. So the, uh, the outlook for today is uh, maybe not so great, actually, which is why I say hyper-localization is the way. Um, there's great places in, in this country where you can go and interact with people and businesses and, and markets on a very local level. And that's where you find the true gems and the true freedom at the time in, at this time and place. Used to be a little bit of the opposite, uh, but the things change and that's where we are. According to me, Matt Bigelow, MatthewPMBigelow.com, because you found it. You've been listening to the Japan What Podcast uh, with me, Matt Bigelow. From the uh, armpit of Asia. Shinjuku-ku. Come back next time. Until then, sayonara, my friend.